supplication prayer. Eternal and immutable Father, as we celebrate the arrival of a new year, remind us of your unfailing promises and compassion from generation to generation. Set our eyes upon the constancy of your grace that we may see and revel in your mercies every morning. We come in thanksgiving for your presence with us in this sanctuary in the past. We pray you will give us an ever-growing comprehension of your holiness, majesty, glory, and grace as you continue to meet with your people according to your promise. Amen. Please be seated. The Old Testament responsive reading this morning comes from the book of Joel, second chapter, beginning with the 12th verse. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. We know whether he will not turn and we we know not whether he will return and not relent. And leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, and gather the people. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit. The New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, beginning with the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it? that we hear each in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Egypt belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are all filled with new wine. But Peter, standing uh, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. This is the word of the Lord. Now that we have sung the hymn of praise, we have heard the Old Testament scripture reading and the New Testament scripture reading regarding the Holy Spirit, please join with me in the prayer of confession and for the Holy Spirit. Almighty Father, we desire the power to be in us that will accomplish what is beyond our imagination in your kingdom. We confess that we have not looked to you and waited for your power. We have tried to build your church without your spirit. We have tried to do your work in our own strength. We have trusted too much in our energy, our ingenuity, and our resources. Forgive us for this prideful self-reliance. Empty us of all arrogance and self-sufficiency. Father, fill us with your spirit. Fill us that we will be supernaturally meek, confess, repent, and rejoice. Fill us that we will be humbly bold in Christ. Teach us to pray in your spirit, to read the scriptures in your spirit, and to walk in your spirit. May we see with the eyes of Christ, hear with the ears of Christ, know with the mind of Christ, and love with the heart of Christ. O Father... Hear us in the name of your dear Son. Amen. Why not just get the church out of our lives? My youngest daughter, Jamie, was reluctant to go to school from the very beginning. She was enrolled in kindergarten, and she did not want to go. She was a homebody who was perfectly, perfectly content with her life as it was. Why well, go to school in the first place? Sometime during the first week of kindergarten, she asked a very good question. A fundamental question that needed to be asked and answered. She came to me and said, Dad, what good are ABCs anyway? This was a sincere question on her part. If she was going to spend seven hours a day in a school, she wanted to know why. She had to have a reason that made sense to her. She was asking what I call a prior question. A prior question is the first question about anything. 
The prior question is a primary question, a preliminary question to the issue at hand. Now, all of us, all of us have asked the same question about the church. What am I doing here? Why am I going to church anyway? Why should I care about what happened 2,000 years ago? What I should, why should I care about what happens in Acts chapter 2? What am I doing here this morning? Last week I was reading a brief autobiography of a man that I knew. He said that he was raised in the church. But when he went to college, he purposely excluded the church and anything about the church from every part of his life. You know, I thought when I read that, my generation in the 60s did that. The generation through which I lived in the 60s, they asked the prior question, what good, what good is the church anyway? That generation left the church, my generation, and most of them never returned. As I was studying for the ministry, I would be asked, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to be a minister? Sometimes a businessman would say to me, there's so much more you can do with your life. These inquirers were really saying to me, why do you want to waste your time on the church? Why not get the church out of our lives? The incredible passage before us this morning answers that question. Let me ask you a question. We've just been through an Advent season where we focused on the Incarnation. What is so monumental about the gospel? What's so monumental about the gospels? The incarnation. God, creator, took on flesh. People, do you understand if that really happened? If that really happened, that's the greatest event of human history. What's so monumental about the Gospels? Not only the incarnation, but the death and resurrection of Jesus. What happens after that? For most Christians, it's just a postscript. Look at our calendar. A calendar just shouts of this. Christmas, great, such a huge celebration that even the world comes to it and tries to make something of it. It's usually wrong. Easter, it's huge. Come here Easter Sunday morning and look around. You won't know a third of the congregation. The world comes. It's a huge event. Christmas, Easter, the incarnation, the resurrection. But what celebration do we have for Pentecost? The coming of the Holy Spirit. Where's that? Now, it's on the church calendar. But come on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> you won't see a large coming there. No big celebration. 
Yeah, for most Christians, it's a postscript. Yet, consider these four truths. One, both the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit were prophesied in the Old Testament. When the disciples left that upper room after the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, they were preaching. And people were there, 100,000 people were in Jerusalem who usually weren't there to celebrate the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. And they were hearing these men speak on the herbs. This whole thing was weird. Different. Say, what's happening? And how did Peter explain it? He said this, look at Acts 2.16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. You wonder what's happening? Here's what's happening. In the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit, capital S, on all flesh. And your son will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, even on my male servants and But Joel prophesied just happened. Number two, you think Pentecost is a postscript? Consider the prophecies concerning the incarnation and the coming of the Holy Spirit were fulfilled at two bulk of both the coming of the Son of God, the incarnation spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit, and both of these took place at a definite time. The incarnation in the conception in Nazareth, in the birth in Bethlehem, the coming of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. Two definite points in time. Three, the coming of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit were one-time events that cannot be repeated. Four, both were one-time events continuing to affect the world to this very hour, even to Fayette County. The coming of the Holy Spirit is not some postscript for the coming of Christ. Consider this. The coming of the Holy Spirit was a major part of the preaching of Jesus. He spoke of the coming of the Holy Spirit over and over again. Look at John 14, 16. Look at it now. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it never sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. And then verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The coming of the Holy Spirit fills the preaching of Jesus. You could not have heard Jesus preach without hearing him preach about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Consider this. After the disciples had seen all the miracles, after they had been taught by Jesus for three years, after they had seen the crucifixion, after they had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, after they had witnessed his life after death. 
after they had been commissioned by Jesus to take that gospel to the world. Even then, Jesus told them they still weren't ready. Consider that. All that they had. They had seen him make the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the paralyzed to walk. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him stop storms. They'd seen him walk out of his own tomb. You're not ready yet. You go to Jerusalem and wait. You wait until the Holy Spirit of the living God falls on the church. Falls on you. Consider this. Acts chapter 2. Pentecost. Marks the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know your heritage? Do you want to know where you came from? Or from whence you came? Acts chapter 2. You reach all the way back to Abraham. Talking about the New Testament church was born that day. God certainly had his people in the Old Testament. The Old Testament church, but the Old Testament church was about to explode, was about to expand in a way that seemed inconceivable. What did Jesus, when the disciples confessed that he was the Messiah, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Messiah of Israel. And the minute they said that, what did Jesus say? Look on your scripture sheet at, my, at Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter answered him, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell in this world will not be able to stand against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whether you lose on earth, be loosed in heaven. That happened in Acts chapter 2. It was the beginning of the church that he would build. Consider this. The 12, the first chapter, it says the Acts of the Apostles. You need to know that that was not written by Luke when he wrote the book of Acts. That title was first given by Irenaeus, in the, one of the church fathers in the second century A.D. You could more accurately name the book, The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles. Understand this. You, if you were to understand the book of Acts, you must understand what happened in chapter 2. It's a gateway to the whole book. Without Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the rest of the book of Acts does not happen. Now with those prefaces, and you hear me say that, you say, oh my, what's this sermon going to be? We might be here at two. We won't be, trust me. After those prefaces, let's briefly look at what happened when the Holy Spirit suddenly came to the church. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. What a dramatic scene that was. What does it say? A mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. The NIV says, the blowing of a violent wind. 
What's the most violent wind you've ever seen? On July the 22nd, 2003, some of you will remember that date. Janet had gotten material where she would teach children that she would teach children later that day. About six, I was still in bed. About six fifty, I heard a lightning bolt and thunder, and I thought to myself, "Oh, this would be nice. I'm going to sleep a bit more." About five minutes later, Janet walked into the room and said in a very serious tone, John, I think you better get up. It was said in a way that said, I I think we're in trouble. I looked out the window and I saw a huge oak in our front yard. The upper part of the tree was parallel, almost parallel to the ground. It was a huge oak and the trunk was being tossed about like a little sapling. I've always heard that a tornado sounds like rain, sounds like a train. The wind was so violent that indeed it did sound like a train was going by just outside the walls of our bedroom. Janet said to me, what do you think we should do? And I said, we're going to the shower stall. We had already predetermined that's the safest place in the house. The house is going to get blown away. We were going to be in that stall. So we stood in that stall for between 10 and 15 minutes. When we came out, there was no power. There would be no power for two weeks. The entire city of Memphis was without power. 300,000 houses and businesses. One million people. We had experienced what I had never seen. A hundred mile an hour straight line winds. It was not a tornado. It's just straight line winds. 100 miles an hour, 10, 15 minutes. Listen, people, that freight train wind, the loud deafening roar Janet and I heard that morning, that's what the disciples heard in the room where they were at Pentecost. That's what they felt, a powerful wind that was inside the house. And tongues of fire. These were visible signs that fit the occasion. You say, John, why do you say it fit the occasion? Well, think about it. What happened when the second person of the Trinity became flesh? An angel shows up to talk to Mary. Mary had never seen an angel. Here comes an angel. How am I going to tell Joseph this? The angel comes to Joseph. When the Son of God became flesh. The angels came to Bethlehem. They came to shepherds. The star appeared and guided the Magi from Persia to Israel. What happened when Jesus broke on the scene, the Son of God breaks on the scene in Galilee? Suddenly, blind people everywhere were being healed. Deaf people were being made to hear. Paralyzed people were walking. Lepers were going back home healed. Those were signs fitting for the occasion. The Son of God had come in the flesh. The arrival of the Holy Spirit brought the signs of wind and fire. When God walks on the scene, you expect 
those kind of things. This wind was also appropriate as it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Breath and wind were symbolic of the Holy Spirit all through Scripture. The, the Hebrew word for spirit is the same word for breath. Ruach means breath. When we talk about your breath, breathing, the wind of your breathing, Ruach. That's also the word for spirit. In Greek, the word that's used in this passage, pneuma, breath, wind, spirit. The word pneuma not only meant breath, it also meant wind. Why? Why wind? Why breath? What happens? When we're born, we begin to breathe. Breath is life. The Holy Spirit brings life to individual lives. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, you must be born again. And what did, what did Nicodemus say? Look at it in John 3, 4. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus said, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water that's born physically and the spirit, born spiritually. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. Look, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. The word pneuma translated spirit in verses 5 and 6, is the same word that's used for wind in verse 8. That is why there was a powerful wind at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit of the living God. A holy breath. A holy spirit had arrived. Well, what about those tongues of fire? In the Old Testament, when God appeared, there was usually fire. Think about it. When God cut the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, God appeared as a great torch. Remember that? That passed between the pieces of those animals. If you would have asked Abraham, who was that that passed? What was that fire? He said, that's God Almighty. When he appeared to Moses, it was the fire at the burning bush. When he came to the people at Sinai, there was a supernatural fire on the mountain. We read in Hebrews 12, 28, there on your scripture sheet, 28. So what happened? What happened? We read it this morning. Peter and the disciples went into the streets of Jerusalem that day. They went into the very city and cultural situation that had crucified Jesus. They preached. They preached and 3,000 people were converted. Think about that. From there, the gospel went to Samaria. From there to Antioch of Syria. 
from there to Damascus, Alexandria, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome. It moved through Persia, India, and China. What started that day in Jerusalem has gone to every continent. Think about, think about that motley crew. Not one famous person. Probably not one wealthy person. They weren't people of means. It was a motley crew of people. And yet, what started that day has gone to every continent. A kingdom that has no boundaries. And every nation in the world today, this kingdom lives. Then where the kingdom goes, where this church goes, where this Pentecostal church goes, where this spirit-filled church goes, it's not only that churches are built, schools are built. Children's homes are built. Hospitals are built. You can't find a place on this earth where the church of Jesus Christ is gone and there's not been schools built by the church, children's homes built by the church, and hospitals built by the church. So why is it? Why is it that the world runs from this. Why is it the world says it's irrelevant? It's archaic. We're modern. So why is it that in the 20th civilized 20th century, Russia said Across Eastern Europe and all of Asia, the church had to be destroyed. It had to be wiped out. Churches were burned. Bibles were burned. Christians were persecuted, tortured, killed, sent to the gulag. Why was it in this civilized century that China said the church must be destroyed? Bibles were burned. Churches were burned. Millions upon millions upon millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ were killed. Why is it in the present culture of the United States, we are trying to expel the church from every segment of our society, every segment? Why is it that the present generations are walking away from this church of Jesus Christ? Walking away from God's word, walking away from the gospel. We hear it's archaic. It's irrelevant. We hear, we think, we're modern. People, that's not the right answer. I can turn you through scripture. We looked at one passage in Joel this morning. I can turn you all through scripture. Where generation after generation after generation said of God's word, said of God's people, 
said of God's law. Why then does the world walk away? It's a simple answer. Always has. Why does this world walk away? Even from the incarnation, it's monumental. Why do they walk away? From Pentecost, from the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Psalms, and this is the last scripture, and we're done. In Psalm 2, verse 1. If you don't look at anything else this morning, look at this. You want to know what's happening in our culture? Look at this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? What are they plotting? Tells us in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying. So here's the cabal, the cabal of the world. What do they say? Do they say it's archaic? No. They say it's irrelevant? No. They say, let us burst the bonds, their bonds, God's bonds, apart and cast away their cords from us. Any cords that bind us to God, the church, God's word, Pentecost, the incarnation, anything that binds us to God, let's walk away from it. Why? Why do they say that? We want to be autonomous. We want to be self-ruled. We don't want a God who tells us what to do. We want to live our lives. You know, what does, we've heard it, this is my body. I can do what I want to with it. If I want to abort a baby, I can abort a baby. I want to do what I want to do. It's called autonomy, self-rule. Listen to me, college students. Listen to me, high school students. And every young person that's around. If you're going to walk away from it, you're going to walk away from the incarnation. Remember that. It's not just a church. You're walking away from the incarnation. You're walking away from the coming of the second person of the Trinity. You're walking away from the cross in his resurrection. You're walking away from the coming of the third person of the Trinity. You're saying about God's word that was written by the Holy Spirit. I don't want it either. That's what you're doing. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't try to make it what it's not. You can look at me and say it's irrelevant. That's idiotic. If it really happened, but you're really saying, I don't want any part of it in my life. Why are we here today, people? Why? Are we here because we're trying to hold some, to some moral code or some political position? We're here because the Son of God became flesh. We're here because Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the paralyzed to walk, and he's still doing it. He's healing people spiritually all over the world, changed civilization, changes lives, changes families, changes marriages. 
We're here because when the world crucified him and killed him, he walked out of the cemetery. We're here because he died in our place for our sins. We're here because after he ascended, the third person of the Trinity dramatically came to his church. The Holy Spirit came with the wind, with the fire of heaven, and has never left. We're here because those are the two greatest events of human history. Monumental. We're here because in every century, the world has tried to eradicate the church. Even in the 20th century. Yet in spite of relentless torture, persecution, and death, the church of Jesus Christ has gone to the ends of the earth. Dear people, you cannot eradicate the incarnation. The coming of God in flesh, and you can't eradicate Jesus Christ. You cannot eradicate Pentecost. You can't eradicate the coming of the Holy Spirit of God on the church of Jesus Christ.